Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. I believe that God's given me a word for everybody, no matter what season that you're in. And if you joined us via the stream, we want to say thank you to you for joining us. You may not have been able to make it out tonight. How cool is it that we have technology where you can come and hook up with us in the spirit, even if you can't be here in the natural. That's, man, that's awesome. Hey, before we jump into the word, I want to pray really quick, okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. And we do thank you that you saved our souls. You are the Savior, and we thank you for that. Father, tonight I ask that as we preach, as I preach, as you've given me a word, that our hearts are open and ready to receive, that we lay aside the troubles of yesterday and the cares and concerns of tomorrow, and that we're able to focus on you, because your word will accomplish that which it was set forth to do. So we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your anointing, and we say these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Let me encourage you with something. I was, the other day I was praying with some folks and, and when we got to the end of the prayer, we said amen, but it was almost like a, a closing salutation, if that makes sense. This is not in your notes. This is bonus, by the way. Um, and really what the Holy Spirit oppressed upon my soul at that moment was this. Don't ever, ever allow that name to be so commonplace that you just throw it around like you would hello or goodbye. The name of Jesus has all the power and authority of heaven behind it. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're invoking all of the power and the authority of Jesus. So when we say in Jesus' name, that's exactly what we mean. If you still need notes, Jenny Dingledine's like, hey, yo, I need notes over here. We have notes for you. If you want some, raise your hands. Our amazing ushers will get them to you. If you don't want notes, it won't hurt my feelings. It's just how it is. Hey, tonight I want to take a look at something that, that affects many of us. And to set it up, I want to tell you a story about a, a friend of mine, a brother of mine. And his grandmother and his aunt, so a mom and a daughter, were at a funeral. And after the funeral, they stopped at a restaurant. Now, these are, these are country girls, Okay. That's going to be relevant here in a second. Trust me. These were not yuppies, as Phil Robertson would say. These were country girls. So if they needed to hogtie a calf, they could. So they go into this restaurant, and they're sitting there, and it's after the funeral, and they're just kind of forlorn and thinking about everything. And when they're sitting there, my buddy's aunt looks over her shoulder to the right, and a few tables over, she sees another gal eyeballing her. And she's like, man of all days today. And so she stops and she goes, Mama, I'm not going to pay attention to her. (laughs) Today's about you and me. We're just going to talk about Uncle Phil. This is all this is going to be about. And she can't help it. She has to look over again. And she looks over again, and sure enough, this gal's eyeballing her. And she's like, man, I just, and her mom's trying to calm her down. Look, baby, just calm down. It's going to be okay. They order their food about halfway through the meal. She looks at her mom and she goes, I'm going to look over there again. And if she's eyeballing me still, it's on. You're going to have to have my back because I'm going to go do something about it. And her mom goes, all right, that's cool. So she looks over and sure enough, she's still eyeballing her. And she goes, I don't know who you think you are, your heifer. You don't know who you're messing 
with only to realize it was a mirror on the other side of the restaurant. She had an identity problem, didn't she? She was ready to go jump up on somebody. She didn't even recognize herself in the mirror. The funny thing is her mama was ready to back her up. I don't know what that's all about. And while that makes for a very funny story, it really does, identity is a big deal. And if, if our identity gets messed up, then we can miss out on so much that God has for us. We can miss it because our identity, our identity ties us to stuff that belongs to us. If I go into the bank with my ID and I place it on the counter, they give me access to the stuff in my account, yes? But if I go into your bank with my ID, they go, man, take a hike. We don't know what you're talking about. Get on out of here. And so tonight we want to take a look at identity and some things that, that if go unchecked, can actually get us out of where we need to be. And as Pastor Don's been preaching about miracles, he said, he said something powerful. He said, you know what? Sometimes it's really easy for you to believe for, for Bill or Cindy or Joey to get their miracle, but you have a problem getting yours. And if you have an identity problem, you can also miss out just on living the blessed life. And sometimes to figure these things out, it can be deception in our heads. We don't even realize it's there. That's the nature of deception. If you knew it was going on, you wouldn't be deceived. Wouldn't be a very good deception, would it? So I want to take a look at something. I want to go back to, to kind of what's at the root of that so that we can understand exactly how to get out of that if that's where we find ourselves. And to do that, I want to go to John 10, 10. John 10, 10. There it is. That's all. I love that they put those on the screen for y'all. Um, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and we know the rest, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I want to focus on that first part. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You see, your first point, the first thing that we're going to talk about to, um, to expose some of this deception is mistaken spiritual identity usually starts with a theft. I was going to say always, but Pastor Don said on Sunday, we can't say always and never anymore. So I'm going to say usually. How about that? And we're going to see that from our text because letter A, the devil's a thief. We just read it. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he's not just any kind of thief. You see, there's different kinds of thieves. There's a thief that'll walk in the front door of a bank with a shotgun and by a show of force, go in and take money out of that bank. That's, that's one type of thief. But then there's another type of thief. There's a type of thief that'll kind of hang in the shadows, watch your mannerisms, go through your trash, maybe get in your mailbox, and they're waiting for the opportune moment. And that type of thief is what the enemy is. They strike when you least expect it in the shadows. That word in John 10, 10, where it says thief is the Greek word kleptis. It's in your notes, kleptis. And I gave you the definition. It's one who steals by stealth and not in the open with violence. So the very word itself tells us what kind of thief that he is. And he comes in, you don't even realize he's doing it because he does it stealthily. And there's this particular type of thief that does that. 
And it's one that'll come in and when they sneak in, they get a hold of your identity and then they steal a little here and a little there and they do it bit by bit and it can go on undetected for a long time until you catch it. That's an identity thief. That's what they do to take away what's yours. And so what we're gonna see is, is that that's exactly what the enemy does. Letter B, he comes to steal your identity. He comes to steal things that rightfully belong to you by messing with your identity. And, and notice that the wording is very specific. It says what kind of thief he is. He doesn't come to steal your stuff right out. That may be a symptom of what happens, but he comes to steal your identity. Because if you look at our text, it doesn't say that the murderer comes to kill. It doesn't say that the destroyer comes to destroy. Our text says that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Look, he can't kill you or destroy you if he can't take your identity. Because your identity is where you're found in him. When you know who you are, he can't mess with you. He cannot take your stuff. He can't mess with your life. He can't do any of those things if you know who you are. That's why he's after your identity. He wants to come and strip that identity in Christ. And we'll see why. Because James 4, 7 says that when you submit to God and resist the devil, he's got to what? He's got to flee. That's right. That word submit, sometimes we read that wrong. And all the guys in this room will say amen in a second. We think that that's the latest MMA match where our boy, the Iceman's holding somebody's down and he's got an arm bar on him and they're waiting for him to submit. That's not what this word means. This word is all about position. This word submit is a cool little Greek word. It's hupotasso. And what it means is to be in proper position, in the proper place under Christ. It's the exact same word for submit that's used in Ephesians where it talks about wives with their husbands. It's a positional thing. And so when you're in the right position, the right place, under God in the right place as his kiddo, then the enemy's got to go. He's got no choice. Your identity as a child of God gives you access to all of your daddy's resources. That's powerful. Mm. So let's take a look at how he attacks our identity. Let's look at how he does it. To do that, I went all the way back to Genesis. Sometimes it's good to just start in the beginning. Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. That was the devil in the form of a serpent. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. And here he's running his gums again. You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gain and wisdom, she pulled one of those apples off the tree, she ate it, gave it to her husband, he ate it too, and the rest is history as we would say it. Well, we wanna look at that account to see how the enemy got in there and was able to do that. He messed with their identity. Number one, first he attacks our view of God. He tries to attack the way that we see God because the way we see God influences the way we see ourselves. 
And so that's where he's moving in and he's trying to get in there, but he does it real subtle. Look, he didn't approach Adam and Eve and go, you know God's lying to you, right? He's not good. He's not telling you the truth. That's not what he did. Let's let's look at our text. Look at what he did here. Letter A, he gets us to question what God has said. That's what he did. He said, hey, look, did God say? Are you sure that that's what God said? Did God really say that by the stripes of Jesus you were healed? Are you sure that's what he said? I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff in the Bible about suffering. Are you sure that's what he said? Are you sure that he said if you give of your finances that you'll have more? Does that make sense? Are you sure that's what he said? He comes in and he creates a question and he's trying to get the door open so that he can get some doubt into the equation. If he can get some doubt in there, then we begin to step even further off this this broken identity trail. And then letter B, once he's done that, he then redirected focus. Look at verses four and five. Once he saw that they were nibbling on the bait, he said, no, 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 no. You won't die. God just knows that this will make your life better. God just knows that this is good for you. And look, if he can do that, then he's setting the stage for the ultimate deception. Number two, the ultimate deception is that God is holding out on me. That's what he wants you to believe. And the reason that he wants us to believe that is really big. Once you get into that place where you're entertaining that, he sets the hook, man. He's got you right where he wants you. Because there's really only two reasons that God would be holding out on on one of us. There's only two reasons if you boil it down. Number one, he's either really not good and not loving. But we know that's not true because we already know that it's easy to believe that, that he's healed Pastor Ken, that he's healed Maria, that that he wants you to be blessed in your finances. It's easy for us to believe that. And so for those of us that have been walking with him for a while, that's normally not the lie that we'll bite into. That might work with somebody that doesn't know that God is love, somebody that hasn't experienced the salvation of their savior in their lives. No, no, no. What usually happens to us is this other one. It must be my fault. I'm not worthy. I'm to blame. They're worthy. They deserve it, but I don't. I don't deserve it. I'm broken. I'm busted. I don't deserve healing. I don't deserve wealth and riches in my home. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve a happy marriage because I'm messed up. And that's where most of us will slip into the cracks and begin to lose our identity. And once that happens, number three, something really powerful happens. We then fall prey to the accuser. The Bible tells us in Revelations 12, 10, there's another name for the devil. It's the accuser of the brethren. And once you're in this place, those accusations hit home. What do those accusations look like? Can I let you into my world for a minute? Can I open up my closet and let you in my head? Pastor Ken just went, no, you can't. Too bad, I'm gonna anyway. I got saved at 19. Before 19, I was an interesting individual. Uh, I have been in the back of a police car. 
oh my gosh. More than once, as Pastor Ken said, thank you, thank you. Uh, Pastor Ken's always here to help build us up. (laughs) And so here's what it looks like for me. At 19, when God reached into my life, I was a different individual. I was full of rage. I was full of anger. I have seen red, and I normally saw red back then. And so now what he'll do, let's say that my wife have a moment of intense fellowship, as PK likes to call it, and I know it's my fault. Look, it's my fault. We're arguing over something stupid like what flavor hot sauce I want. That is so stupid. And then the accuser will come. You're never going to change. You're still that same broken, busted, anger-filled loser you've always been. Who do you think you are? And you call yourself a man of God. Aren't you preaching in two weeks? What a joke. Insert your own loop. I don't know what yours is, but you have one. I know you do. And those are accusations from your accuser. And that cycle has to be broken because when you're in that place, there's no freedom. You can't, man, you can't experience the blessing when you've bit into that. So now I want to talk a little bit about how to find our identity, how to get it back where it needs to be, okay? Number one, you got to remember who your daddy is. Don't put father in there. Don't put, you know what I wanted to put in there? I'll tell you right now, I wanted to put who's your daddy. That's what I wanted to put in there, but I didn't. You got to remember who your daddy is. You're going to see why it's important that daddy is the word that you use here in just a second. Romans 8, 15 says, the spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, looky there, Abba, then father. That's going to be important in a second. Don't let go of that. Let's look at it again. Galatians 4. Four through seven. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Look, that just means childship, okay? If you're a gal, it's you too. You're his kiddo, trust me. Look at verse six. Because you are his kids, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. We see it again. So there's got to be something to that. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Man, you're an heir to the wealth of your daddy, the king. Man. Now look, we said daddy intentionally, right? I want to go back to why we said daddy, and here's why. Because Abba means daddy. It's real simple. Abba means daddy. If you look that word up, that's what it means. And the Apostle Paul, driven and led by the Holy Spirit, intentionally put in the word for us to read that God is daddy and father. Let me tell you why. Because every daddy is a father. 
but not every father is a daddy. There's a difference. There's some folks who they didn't have daddy growing up. There's some folks that suffered at the hands of an abusive man or maybe a man that was completely absent and devoid from their lives. That man's not a daddy. That man is a father. He sired a kiddo. That's what he did. His responsibility ended there. And then he walked out. And God wanted you to know that's not who he is. He's your daddy. Daddies always have time for their kids. Daddies are never annoyed by disturbances at one in the morning. Daddy, come in here. Daddies always have time for their kiddos. And they delight in their kiddos and being with their kiddos. That's what daddies do. That's why he put that in the word. And you're going to see why that's so critical and so crucial to fully understand. Because number two, we got to spend time with him. You got to know who he is, your daddy, so that you will then go spend time with him. Because if you think he's that other thing, then you might approach the bedroom door like this. Is he going to fly off the handle? Is he going to yell at me because he's on a business call? Does he even have time for me today? And you have to spend time with him because of what a daddy does. Pastor Cody and I were talking uh, about a year ago. That's actually when this kind of got birthed in me. And we were talking about the skewed image of father in today's society. And that the enemy has worked double time to mess up our view of father. And Pastor Cody said, he said, well, of course that's what the enemy has done because dads speak identity to their children. And man, I'm telling you, it was like the light bulb over my head. That's what dads do. They speak identity to their children. He's the very one that created you. Who better to tell you who you are? The one that created you intentionally and on purpose? Are some thief, liar, and deceiver. Hmm. Let's look at that. Psalms 139, 13 through 18, the psalmist writes, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Man, he understood his identity. His daddy told him who he was. He grasped it. You created me. You formed me in my mother's womb. You want to see it in the New Testament? Because there's some of y'all like, man, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, show me something in the New Testament. I'll show it to you in the New Testament. Ephesians 2.10. It's one of my life verses because that loop was always playing for me. Ephesians 2.10 was one of my verses. For we're God's masterpiece. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a masterpiece. Turn to your other neighbor and say, so are you. 
We are God's masterpiece. Now listen, here's what he created you for. Here's your identity, folks. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned long ago. That's who you are. That's who we are as children of the Most High God. You want to see it in life application? You want to see it played out actually in the account of somebody's life? Judges 6, 11 and 12. It's the story of Gideon and the Midianites. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. I didn't even know she was around back then. Man, she's old. Uh, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So let me, let me set the stage for you. Some of, his, of you have heard this account before. Here's Gideon. He's hiding in this thing that's kind of like a well because the Midianites are tearing him up and he's afraid and he's trying to just gather a little bit of wheat and a little bit of grain to eat. So he's down here cowering in fear and look, the angel of the Lord appeared. Now angel, if you look up that word, it means messenger. So they were carrying the words of the Most High God. They have no right to speak anything but what the Father spoke to them. That's their job. And look at what he does. Says that he shows up, appears to Gideon, and he goes, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's down here going, I'm the only one down here, what are you talking about? Mighty warrior, I'm shaking in my boots. But it's because God knew what he'd created him for. And so he was speaking identity into his son. He knew that Gideon was gonna be used to save God's people. He knew it. Gideon was the only one that didn't know. And if you read the rest of the account out, he had some real trouble with it for a couple of times. But then when he finally got on board, he was like, that's right, watch my walk. He finally got it. He figured it out. Remember, dads speak identity to their kids. So you got to get in his presence so he can tell you who you are. The next step's real simple. I'm probably going to just see on a, if y'all hear me, if Pastor Ken lets me preach again in the next year, I'm going to tell you probably every single time one of my points is going to be, get in the word. <laughs> get in the word. Let me tell you why. His word tells us who we are. So many times we're fumbling around and we are trying to get a word from the most high God. We're, oh my gosh, I'm fasting. I haven't eaten in 37 days. Oh, man, I'm doing prayer walks around the neighborhood. Lord, I need to hear from you. And he's going, well, open my word. I gave you over 700,000 of my words right here. You need to hear from him. It's real simple. Looky here. Open it up and read it. I, I'll tell you something that he does for me. Just We get this question a lot. Man, how do you hear from God? I mean, like, do the heavens part and the roof gets ripped off your truck as you're going down the highway and you hear, son. No, I'm not saying that can't happen. It's never happened to me. Usually the way that God speaks to me is I've been praying about something. There's something stirring around in my heart. And I'm like, man, daddy, I sure could sure could use a word from you on that. And you know what he does? He thumps me and reminds me of something that I've already read in his word. 
He doesn't speak it all over to me again. No, no, no. He goes, okay, you need a word? No problem. Ephesians 2.10. That's who you are. Genesis 4. You want? And then I go, oh, that's right. And I can open it up because look, sometimes the voices from outside are so deafening that, man, it's difficult to decipher the still small voice. So you can go put yourself in a quiet place and you don't have to wonder what he's saying. It's right there. It's real easy. Most powerful thing God did was put his word in a leather cover for you and I. Hmm. I'll use that point again next time. Trust me, I will recycle that one. Number four, this one's, this is a big deal. Watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. So many times, this is where we get into trouble. It's on this one right here. We don't watch our mouth. The accuser comes. You find yourself in a broken down place. You hadn't been spending the time with the Lord that you needed to. Maybe you had a fight with your wife. Or maybe I'm just the only one that ever does that. The accusations start. And next thing you know, the enemy accomplishes exactly what he wanted to do by getting you to agree with him. You're always going to be a loser. Man, I'm always going to be a loser. My marriage is always going to be horrible. I'm never going to have enough. He's trying to get you in agreement with him because of the power of your words. Look at James 3, 4 through 6. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. Look at this. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire. He says, you got a big old boat, it's out on the water, you got this little bitty rudder in comparison to the boat. And as long as you have control of that rudder, you send that ship on the course that you want it on. Lose control of the rudder, lose control of the entire ship, and you end up run aground on some sandbar somewhere. This thing will change the course of your life. And that's why the enemy wants to get you all twisted up and in agreement with him. If he can get you to confess it and own it, the, the course of your ship is changed. Mm. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Look at that. It's putting fruit out every time you say something. You begin to confess what he says, that's the fruit you're going to eat. There's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And I appreciate that this is real simple. We have probably all heard this at some point in time. But how many of us mess up on this one point? My wife still reminds me of it. I'll say something and she'll go, that's not who you are. That is not who you are. I'm like, you're right, baby. Thank you. Thank you for knocking me square again. Because of some of my stuff from that before 19, that one will get me. And I still have to be mindful of it. 
So what do you do when the accuser comes? What do you do when the accusations have started? When that loop, whatever your loop is, begins to play? Letter A, preach it. When the accuser comes, you proclaim the truth. That's all that preach it means. So look, again, let me open up my wardrobe for you. I'll let you inside again. So when the enemy comes and says, you're always going to be a hothead. You know who you're just like? Man, you're never going to be able to control that temper of yours. Never, ever. You know what I do? I go, oh, let me tell you something, devil. Let me tell you what. No, I know that guy. He's dead and buried. The word says, I'm a new creation. I'm a son of the most high God. And you're telling me that I'm never going to have enough? Well, I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. And guess what? The floodgates of heaven have been opened up, and God is pouring out a blessing that I cannot even contain. That's what's up. And you say I'm always going to be defeated? No, 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 no. You got that all wrong. I am more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. And I'll let you in on a little secret. I've read the end of the book. You're the one that's defeated. You're a liar. So you got to hit the road. But guess what? You can't preach it if you don't know it. If this isn't in you, then you got no leg to stand on. Look, you can't call Pastor Ken at two in the morning when the enemy's playing that soundtrack in your head and say, man, give me a scripture quick somewhere in the Bible. I need to know something. You can't call me at two in the morning. Well, you can. You're my sister. Um, You've got to have it in you. That's what has to happen. And all of it starts with knowing who he is so that you're not afraid to go to him and you understand that he wants to speak to you. Then you put his word in you. Then you watch your mouth and you only proclaim the truth and you preach yourself into the place where you need to be. I do it on a regular basis. I've had people look at me in the car next to me and go, that dude needs medication. What is he doing? I'm preaching to myself. I'm getting this thing back to where I remember where it's at and who I am. You're a child of the Most High God. That's who you are. The sooner that we realize that our identity in him has way more to do with him and way less to do with us. It's about who he is. The the disciple John, he wrote the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's often called the gospel of love. In it, John, the disciple, refers to himself in the third person five times. He doesn't say I. He doesn't say me. He doesn't say John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I've heard it preached that he touched on arrogance, that he was a little arrogant. He had, That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. His identity became all about that. That's what his identity was. He didn't even want to put his name down. He's like, that is not who I am. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. So that when they took him and put him on an island with a bunch of lepers and prisoners, you know what they couldn't take away? His identity. 
I'm the disciple whom Jesus loves. And from there, he wrote letters that we read today that help us. Mm. That's who you are. That's who you are. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.